0: This week on the Drag Zine Podcast, NHRA multi time champion Justin Lamb joins us to talk about bracket racing, class racing, what it takes to win multiple NHRA titles, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready and put it in the beams. The Drag Zine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Drag Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Justin Lamb joins us, and if you're not aware who he is, do a Google search about this man because he has stacked up multiple NHRA championships in stock and super stock and even doubled up. Not an easy feat at all. Really interesting person to talk to about racing. We get some interesting takes from him as well on some different subjects. So uh, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right. My guest this week on the Drag Zine podcast is multi-time NHRA world champion and just one dude you do not want to see in the lanes next to you when you got a lineup for eliminations, Justin Lamb, what's going on, Justin?
1: Oh, not much. How are you
0: doing? Good, man. Doing good. Weather's getting a little warmer. There's more racing going on. It's uh, you know, it's life starting to kind of turn back to normal and I'm perfectly fine with that.
1: Yep. I understand it. Uh, it, it's been warm here. That's for sure. Uh, I, uh, I was in Colorado this weekend for a race that did not go the best, but I was there needless to say. And, uh, I came home and, uh, what Sunday afternoon driving across the desert, you know, to get home and uh, the, the readout of the truck, it was like 109 driving home. Couldn't believe it.
0: <laughs> oh Yeah. That's, and I will, I will be the first one to say that there is a definite difference between a dry heat and a humid heat, massive difference.
1: Yeah. To be honest with you, I'd rather have 109 in Vegas than like 90 back East somewhere where the humidity is also 90%. Like it totally kicks my butt. Like, I don't know what it is, but, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, 109 in Vegas is hot, but it's just, it's almost like you can drink a bottle of water and be fine, where, like, when it's really humid like that, I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's just hot and miserable, you
0: know? Yeah, I've, I've been to a couple events where it's, like, 98 degrees, 98% humidity, and it's just, it's failing to rain. Like, it feels like you could swim through the air, and it's miserable mm-hmm. to be there. The cars don't like it. It just makes life difficult.
1: Absolutely. I agree 100%, yeah.
0: So, you know, I, we were talking a little bit you know earlier here in the, in the pre-call, and I got to do a feature on you a while back, and you're one of the people I wanted to have on the show because we talked about so much that I couldn't fit into that article, and that's one of the frustrating things you have as a writer sometimes because you only have like so much space, and one of the things I wanted to kind of kick on right off the bat is that you kind of weren't always a drag racer. You just kind of like fell into it, right?
1: Well, I, um, well, I guess you could say I wasn't always, but from eight years old on, I was, um, the history is like, uh, my dad has always had fast cars, fast boats, fast, whatever. Um, he was always into hot rod, you know, whatever, just, just fast stuff more or less. And, uh, he was actually partners in a drag boat, like a blown alcohol hydro drag boat. And this is when I was young, you know, let's say three, four, five years old, somewhere in that range. And he actually, uh, the gentleman that drove the that, that drove the boat, he actually crashed real bad and uh to the point I mean, I know he was in like intensive care for a while. I mean, I don't I think he was in the hospital for a few months. Again, I was very young, so don't remember it a bunch. And I think he just got to the point where they're like, you know what, I don't wanna own something that's gonna kill somebody that you know, I'm gonna have to explain it to their kids or their wife that, oh, hey, by the way, your husband drove my boat, crashed and died, right? I mean, the drag boat racing is just very dangerous. And um So that kind of prompted my dad to get out of that. And we, he always still had like fast boats that were for fun, like not drag racing, you know, like a 25 foot boat that went 120 miles an hour. Like that's the kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we always, he always still had fast stuff. And it literally started as simple as we were at a car show when I was seven years old and junior dragsters were just kind of coming out. Um, I think they've been out a few years but they weren't really popular like they were later. or now, but my dad saw these junior dragsters and uh that was it. He ended up buying me one and surprised it surprised me with it for my eighth birthday. So uh that's when I got it and it kinda of just started from there. So I mean from this point, like that's all I've done since I was eight years old, you know, is drag race one way or another. So.
0: To me that's you know, it's a constant theme you see with a lot of high-level racers is that you see a lot of them started out, you know, young and junior dragsters. And to me, I draw a comparison with that when, you know, you see someone, you know, like very, very talented basketball players that did AAU growing up. And it's just like it's something that it gets ingrained to you in muscle memory. Do you think that's something that's kind of helped you be so successful? It's kind of like that muscle memory of drag racing? Oh, uh, I
1: do. I, I mean, I think it – I mean, obviously, it helps that I've done it my whole life. Um, The other thing that I feel like was very cool about the way we went about it, I mean, it was basically my father and I, and, uh, you know, my family, but my father and I, as far as working on the race cars, setting up the race cars, like, like we knew nothing about drag racing. We knew nothing about bracket racing. It wasn't like, and, like, I'm going to go through this a little bit with my son now. Like, now I know drag racing, right? Like, I can set up his car and make it good, or... I can explain to him the finish line, like, here we were, I'm eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, whatever, and me and my dad having to learn, oh, wait, we're supposed to let out the gas at the finish line? <laughs> like, we didn't even know anything, and I, a part of me believes that that might have been an advantage, as opposed to having someone that was, like, already in the sport, like, my son's going to have, like, I already know how to do it, I'm just going to tell him how to do it. The, the learning curve is going to be much faster for someone like that, like, for my son, where for me, it, like, took us a while, but... We had to go through so many steps to figure that out. Like, you know, we had to like learn from, oh, that kid just left the gas. Why did he do that? You know, we started from the, from the bottom and then worked through it. No different than we got into big cars. Like, immediately, uh, out of juniors, I, I had a bracket car, like a bottom ball bracket car. And then we got a Supercomp dragster. And like, we didn't know what a throttle stop was. We didn't know what a delay box was. We didn't know any of that. So uh, I think a lot of it, like, let's just say specifically to Supercomp, a lot of people, jump into supercomp and their dad raced or their uncle raced or whatever. Oh, you just put this in your timer, this, this, and this, and your ratio is 2.2 2 to one. Well, we didn't have that. So it was kind of cool because we got to experiment a lot. Like we had to figure it out on our own. We had to figure out like, all right, how do we want the stop to work? What RPM is right? What converter is right? I mean, there was one season, I think my dad wanted to shoot me, but I think we bought nine torque converters in like six months to figure out what the best converter was to run Supercomp. Like like, or, or what seemed to work the best for us anyway, you know? because we knew nothing. So it wasn't like you could just go get a combo and it just worked because that's what dad had. Right. Like we had to figure it out. And, uh, so we had to work together. I mean, there was a lot of days that we look like the old orange County Choppers show, right. Like <laughs> father and son arguments, but at the same time, like, I think that's why we've been fairly successful at times in the sport. Like is because we got to learn from nothing and got to experiment and try things. And, I've obviously been very fortunate for him. Like he let me buy nine torque converters, right? Like who in their right mind does that? But he just, he allowed whatever I've needed to be, that that, that would help us with the car or help me driving. Like I had the ability to get it. So I think that uh, between us having to like learn from the, from square one and uh, you know, that combined with having the opportunity to, to be able to, you know, get the right parts, the right equipment, the right, whatever, I think it helped. And and that being said, I've had a lot of help along the way from people that were very, very knowledgeable, you know, um, especially more so when we got into the big car ranks. But, I mean, like, Peter and I initially became very good friends, and uh, Peter Biondo, that is, and uh, and then Kyle and I spawned a friendship from there. And, uh, I mean, man, when I was younger, I mean, I remember I'd be driving to college. Peter lived in New York, worked in Jersey, and, like, Every day driving home from university when I was in college, you know, from UNLV home, he happened to be driving home at the same time from New York to Jersey, like talk to him two or three days a week and being able to pick someone's brain that's that good. I mean, he's literally the best to ever do it. And uh, so things like that helped also, right? Like having like a mentor like Kyle and Peter. Absolutely. And uh, Peter very much. Um, helped me a lot from you know the driving perspective and and kyle same thing a lot with the driving perspective but then kyle you know honestly taught me just how to have confidence and how to be positive i can be a fairly negative person at times and he definitely has helped me through that you know and helped me and so you know but so the bottom line is it wasn't just my father and i but i had help along the way but i do think the fact that my father and i knew nothing got to start from scratch like it it kind of helped like now I know my car's inside and out. I know, you know, we've tested this, 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 and this, this works, this doesn't, that works, that doesn't, you know, it's, it's really helped. And uh, so I guess these, you know, fast forward to now, I pride myself in trying to have like, probably more so than driving well. I like to believe, like, I want to put forth all the effort to have the best equipment I can have, period. Like I, this sounds very arrogant from this perspective, but I have no doubt in my mind Anytime, like, I'll go, to the, I'll go to a race next weekend, uh, wherever, you know, to National Divisional, whatever. I have no doubt in my mind I have the best Super at the track, period. I think I, I truly believe I have the best Super in the country. And I do believe that. Am I the best driver in the country? Hell no. But I guarantee you I get the best car. Like, I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might be middle, middle of the road driver, but I do I, – I just – that's what I enjoy. Like, there's a lot of times, uh, you know, even with Pete and Kyle, like, I get more – joy out of like seeing my car perform well seeing you know like i put a ton of effort into that like having the best stuff like and it's not like you just go buy the best parts i mean it's the combination and figuring out the best combination figuring out what works the best and how to make it fast but also consistent blah blah like that's what i love i know i'm not the best driver in the world but uh i i do feel like i i just put a ton of effort into ha- trying to have the very best equipment and uh, it's cool. So sometimes it's fun to like watch Peter Kyle jump in my dragster and just be deadly consistent and go win a race or whatever. It's it, that's fun for me, you know.
0: Well, one of the things I think you know, kind of spelling all that out there. One of the things that reminds me of is like old school NASCAR guys and then dirt track guys that are not only good drivers. But they know how to work on their stuff, and they make sure their stuff is tip-top, and that's why they perform. You know, look at, so you know, you see the old pictures of Dale Earnhardt floating around all the time of him working on his own engines. Well, guess what? He knew that car inside and out. He could refer that information to his crew chief, and they can make adjustments and make stuff work. And that's really, I think, you you reiterate it there, is, you know, it, it's good to have that equipment, but it's just as important to know how to use it, you know, that, 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 know how to use the tools.
1: And it is, I think, obviously, it's very important to know how to use the tools. But the the one thing I feel like, um, this is just my perspective, but I feel like when you get to, like, the level of racing, there, there's whatever, an upper, upper echelon of drivers. I don't know, and let's exclude Peter from this conversation because he's an exception, but there's the, let's just say the top 10% of drag racers are probably all pretty damn equal. Maybe the top 15 20%. And it's no different than thinking about, like, the NFL and quarterbacks. Like, and and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think Tom Brady is the best quarterback. He's but I guarantee you he paid for the best system. He played for the best system. Like, yep. he had the best car. He had the best coach. He had the best owner that gave him the best tools. Like, he had the best – Like, I think that you can literally take Tom Brady out and plop whoever in, Brett Favre and whoever. Like, you can just plop a quarterback in with Bill Belichick. And if he's willing to learn – and deal with the system, like, now, every, every sports cast will be talking about whoever is the best quarterback, you know, uh, Andrew Luck is the best quarterback ever. If he just happened to, if he happened to be in the right place at the right time, like, uh, what's his name was? Uh,
0: Tom Brady. For
1: Tom Brady, you know, like, if he just, if, if, let's just say Andrew Luck just happened to be playing behind Blood So when he got hurt and got to fall into the Belichick system. Literally I think every person in the news in the sports world will be talking about how Andrew Luck's the best quarterback ever. I think it was the system. I think that when you get to the point of the NFL and you're an NFL call, you know quality starting quarterback, I think they're all pretty damn similar. It just happens to be who plays for the best system. And I think it's no different than drag racing. I don't think I'm a better drag racer than most of these people. I'm in fact I know there's a lot of people who are probably way better than I am but I promise you I've put forth the effort to make sure I have the best system. Like I have the best car. I have the best equipment. I try to dial the best. I have, and it's not just the race cars. Like, you know, I try to have the, the best weather station and the best data and the best tracking of the data. And like, it's the whole thing. Like, I'm not a better driver. I promise you. There's a lot of people that are probably way better than me, but you know, it's just, I, I and that's just who I think about. it. And like I said, the NFL thing, I'm sure people are going to be like laughing at me like, what's he talking about? But I really believe that.
0: No, no, it totally, totally makes sense, 100%. You know, and I, I happen to be in agreement with you on the, the Tom Brady theory there as well. But, yeah, I mean, it it definitely comes down to a point where if you, you, you harness that, you know, what skills you have and you plug it into all the, the best and the positive equipment and you put the time in, you know, that like you said, that's in it, you, you get the results. And I think it speaks volumes, like you said, when other people can jump in your cars and win, that, again, tells you that that theory is correct.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, one of the things, another thing I wanted to hit on that we talked about was winning, and you know, there's a difference between winning a divisional and an NHRA national championship, correct? Mm -hmm. And you know, with with something like that, kind of explain to our listeners the insanity of trying to chase, you know, a full national NHRA championship in class racing. Like, what goes into that? Because it's not there's just showing up.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, but it's also, you know, it depends on the year. Like, there's been years that I set out that I'm like, you know what, let's let's try to race for a championship and let's get, you know, your six nationals and eight divisionals in. And you kind of put a schedule in. And it's not easy by any means. I mean, it depends on what part of the country you live in, too. Like, out here on the West Coast, you know, I have to drive. I mean, I just went to Kitta divisional last weekend. It was 750 miles each way. You know, there's people on other parts of the country that probably don't Drive 750 miles to their whole divisional schedule, right? Like combined. <laughs> and uh, so the, the logistics part of where I live can be very difficult chasing points because places are so far away. But in the grand scheme of things, in a year that like you decided at the beginning of the season, all right, I'm going to chase points this year, you can kind of plan accordingly and know how to get your divisionals and nationals. What becomes very difficult, like a few years ago, must have been 2018, I'd I won a championship in 2017 in, in uh, both of the classes that I raced. And uh, in 2018, I'm like, I'm not running for points. Screw this. Well, come like July, I had like a perfect score in Superstock and a couple national wins in stock. And I, all I had to race is nationals at this point. So now it was like, holy crap. Like, I need to – I guess I should race for points. I better go catch a bunch of divisionals. I mean, And I remember at one point, we went from Vegas to Woodburn, Oregon, which is, I don't know, roughly – 12 13 14 hundred miles something like that from Woodburn Oregon all the way to Great Bend Kansas which I don't even know another 1500 2000 miles and then home just I mean so let's just say I'm going to say the rig went 5 6000 miles somewhere in that range to get to two races which some of which was my fault because I decided really late to go catch races but there's other parts of the country where you can decide really late to catch races and you just got to go 200 miles down the road and catch a race we don't have that luxury out here but um so it just depends. Like, unfortunately, there's been times when I've decided to change point, chase points really late, and it's just very grueling because then you end up racing, like, 10, 12 weeks in a row all at the end of the season, trying to get enough races, you know. And then, you know, if you do have a week off, you're trying to get the cars ready and, you know, make sure they're performing correctly and blah, blah, blah. It's just – it can definitely be a lot. Um, but at the same time, at the end of the day, I, I mean – there's like no better feeling than winning an NHRA championship. Like I know that there's, you know, especially these days, like there's so many, um, big dollar bracket races. There's so many series. You've got like, I don't know, like these, like what is it? PDRA and like all these other things. Right. Well, I don't, maybe I live in a bubble, but I still feel like the pinnacle of drag racing as a whole is NHRA period. No, Um,
0: it's, it is the big show.
1: And it is, like, the big show, and there's, like, nothing better than winning a national championship in that. Like, it's it's very special, and it's cool. Uh, I mean, and and to be honest with you, like, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of sponsors and a lot of help. It's what allows me to race the way that I do. And in the grand scheme of things, like, people want to sponsor someone who's racing in a series that that's a big deal. Like, if I was just racing at some bracket race every week, like, that really didn't get a whole lot of it to like what i have the sponsors i have i might have some but probably not all right like so i don't know it's just it's it's pretty special to win a national championship and you know and uh i don't know like when you look at the list of someone like the best sportsman racers ever right immediately it's NHRA racers fletcher Biondo, jeff taylor rampy whatever like all these people that are all NHRA guys that have won tons of national events in NHRA, and like that's like the thing right like and I would love to. I mean, I probably never will, but it would be awesome if I could ever be included in a list with Fletcher and Peter and people like that, right? Because whatever, they've made it. Like, I don't know.
0: Oh, no. Well, in my opinion, like I'm my two favorite classes, and I will say this until, no matter what, stock and super stock. I could sit there and watch and shoot pictures and hang out and just super stock and stock racing all day every day like if there was a whole event that was just nothing but that I would be you know 12 hours I'd be happy and I think that winning a national championship in one or both of those classes to me that's just that's I think is one of the hardest things to do in all of drag racing because it's not just about brute horsepower it's like a it's almost like a triathlon or like a track meet with all the different conditions, the cars, the competitors, the events that you have to face to do that. It is absolutely not easy.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not easy. But in all fairness, I don't think any any championship deal in any, like it doesn't matter, any tray, whatever, it, it's not easy in any of them. I mean, it's not easy in SuperCom, SuperGas, Top Sportsman, Top Dragster. I mean, you're racing. I mean, let's just be real. People want to race NHRA. They want to win on the big stage and the biggest show and the biggest everything, right? Like that's what they want. So unfortunately uh, it makes things very difficult. Like, you know, people spend, you know, spare no expense to be at these events, to to have the best stuff, the best equipment, the the drivers put forth the effort. And, you know, it's only getting more and more difficult these days, as far as uh, any of the classes in NHRA, just, and, and then, you know, some of the stuff that you can look at, like, oh, they're limiting the quota, right? So, you can't have, now they're only going to have 50 cars in Superstock instead of 70. Well, the, you're getting the best 50 of the 70 that are still going. You know, like, it, it's just, it's making things even tougher. And uh, it's definitely, it's all the classes are, in, are, are very, very, very tough. And, uh, you know, and it's not just NHRA stuff. I mean, I, I do get an opportunity to run a few bracket races a year and I mean, they're extremely tough. Also, you know the, the cool thing about a bracket race is, it's a weekend. If you have a bad weekend, you just go to the next one and start over. If you have a bad weekend in NHRA, you're trying to make up for that all season long to get those points back. You know, so it's just different. It's just a different mindset, a different kind of racing. Um, where I live, NHRA is what we have. We have a couple good bracket races a year. We have a fling event out here, a couple events uh, that Chris Forsyth puts on, and I love going to those also. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, where I live, NHRA is what you do. And fortunately, it just happens to kind of be the, the pinnacle of our sport at this at this point. You know, I mean, it has been for the last how many years, but uh, hopefully it stays that way. And uh, like I said, that's just kind of what we do. But.
0: Have you ever listened to one of, like, Alan Ryan Ar- Hart call one of your races after the fact? Have you ever got to hear that?
1: Uh, not very often. I mean, there's been a couple times, I guess, where, like, someone will like film the live access and throw it on Facebook or something and I'll see it. Uh, but it tends to always be like a final round. It's not very much an early round. Uh, so I, I mean, I've heard a few, but ultimately know I'm to racing. So
0: the, the reason I'm going over with this is, you know, I've, I've really gotten into more of, you know, watching the sportsman racing when I really got NHRA all access or dot TV or whatever it's called now. And it it's amazing. I love it. And listening to Alan call your races, usually it goes, you know, something along the lines of, you know, the other person leaves, you absolutely crush their hopes and dreams on the tree, and then you end up, you know, running almost dead on the number. and always ends with, well, that just wasn't nice. And it's just true because you're one of those drivers that goes out there and just crushes people on both ends, and it shows, again, how, di- like you're saying, how difficult the competition is at that level with elite drivers and it makes it honestly exciting to watch you go up against, or, you know, top level drivers in stock, super stock or any of the, the sportsman classes face off because you know, it's going to be one hell of a race at both ends.
1: Yeah, but I don't, I mean, that might be Reinhardt making me feel good or pumping me up, but I, I don't feel like these days there's much crushing anybody. Like even if I'm fortunate enough to win the round, like there tend to be really close rounds or, I mean, just this weekend, I lost first run of Superstock in Denver. I'm 12 on the tree and took 10th of the finish line and lose. My guy's 10 on the tree and dead on his number. Like, and and even if that happened to go my way, like, it, I mean, that's a close ass race. And and I feel like there's more and more and more. Like, I mean, go back 10 or 15 years, maybe it wasn't that way. But I, I and I don't know. I wasn't racing as much then. But uh, I don't know. I I don't know that. I feel like if Reinhardt's announcing that I'm just crushing someone's dreams or whatever, that's probably a little exaggerated because these days everybody's just so good. And, uh, you know, I I, uh, I I feel like I win or lose, all these races are just so close now.
0: Oh, it's it just, again, it shows just how the the precision at that level and being able to go, you know, oh, whatever on the tree and then run that close on your number, it's like, I just, I can't, ever stress to some people enough how difficult that is and when you're lined up against someone like you said that's just as good it makes for a very very tight race
1: yeah absolutely no it it does it just uh I don't know it's crazy the competition and and the level of cars and the level of drivers it's everything super super tight races these days for sure
0: out of all your championships which one means most to you uh
1: I don't know. I'm going to say probably 2017. Uh, I won the world in both cars, uh, which was a huge feat in itself. uh, Only a few people have done it. But more importantly, like that year was a year that Kyle and I. uh... So for those of you that don't know, Kyle Seifel and I have raced together for a while now. And uh, he obviously got sick. He's got cancer. He's fighting it now and uh, and hopefully going to beat it here any minute. But uh, right now he's in the middle of this you know fight with cancer and uh 2017 was kind of the last year that uh was normal i guess um i did win the championship in 18 but i was like on my own you know kyle was sick he was you know dealing with the health issues and, and don't get me wrong he was still there for me and we talk every day but it was not the same not having him there in 2017 I, honestly it was just awesome like we had the whole year together obviously my family also went and uh but you know a lot of times it was just him and i and and it was just it was awesome uh it, it was just really special in that regard like he was there every step of the way i i remember uh i had super stock more or less locked up pretty early um a couple months before the end of the season believe it or not i just had a really great year in 2017 super stock but like stock came down to the wire and kyle uh actually decided to skip the vegas national it's over halloween in the fall and uh to do Halloween with the kids, you know he's got kids and stuff at home, and uh, want to spend time with his wife and kids. And all of a sudden, uh, it was looking like things were shaping up. Like, wow, like the gentleman that was leading the points at the time lost early. It was his last race. All of a sudden, if I go enough rounds, I can win the championship. And uh, I mean, he jumped on the next flight. He's like, I'm freaking coming. Forget Halloween, right? <laughs> and he showed up, and it was it, it was just a really 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 fun year all the way around. The banquet was a blast. Uh, you know, like I said with. My, my wife were there, my kids were there. Uh, it was whatever. It, it was just really really awesome. So, uh, and uh, you know, and it was a typical year, like a lot of trials and tribulations. Like I'll never forget, like uh, one race that season, we're up in Woodburn, Oregon. And this is me being negative, by the way. But we're up in Woodburn, we have a newborn. My daughter was born in June, and we're probably in Woodburn in August or September. And she gets sick with something. We got to go to the emergency room because she's having trouble breathing. Blah blah blah. We drive all the way to Portland, which I don't know, an hour away probably. Now where it's taking forever in this emergency room. We get in there and the doctor more or less like blows us off, like ah, oh, she'll be fine. Just give her these antibiotics, whatever it was. And I just remember getting in the car, being so mad, like, like you know, and like the the whole race just went to crap. Like I can't win now. I'm only gonna sleep for two hours. We got a race tomorrow. And Kyle's like, dude, shut the hell up. Like we just had to go to the hospital for a minute. You'll be fine tomorrow. And I end up doubling up and like. The first thing Kyle and Janine could say, Janine's my wife, like immediately were like in my face, like, yeah, so uh, today was going to suck. huh? How'd you end up doing? Like, yeah, I mean, just totally giving me a hard time, but it was just a cool season all the way around. Like, uh, had a couple of races. We doubled up. I, I can't remember if that was the year it was 17 or 18, but I doubled up at a national event for the first time. We won both tr- championships that year. It was just an awesome time racing with, you know, one of my best friends is, and, uh, It was cool. And, you know, since then it's been a little rocky just because, yeah, I mean, we've still raced together, but it's kind of hit or miss depending on how he's feeling and where he's at in treatment. And, uh, so I don't know, I feel like that was super special and, uh, a lot for that reason, you know, it was just being able to enjoy it, I guess. And, uh, you know, 18 was just like this huge emotional roller coaster. Like I ended up finishing number one and two in the world and, uh, he didn't get to go to many races. I was kind of on my own and, uh, you know, with my family, of course, but without Kyle, and that and that's what I'd grown accustomed to—is racing with Kyle the whole time. And uh, it's just been a little different ever since not having him there. But uh, hopefully, he'll be back soon enough. So.
0: You know, it, when you get into these situations when you're running for these championships, you probably get into a lot of, uh, you know, pretty pretty big and big rounds and big big rounds of racing. How do you mentally prepare for those?
1: Hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you do, you just, I don't, I mean, you just have to give you, I, I guess I feel like I mentally prepare by being so prepared before the race even starts, right? Like, like forget the, the mental aspect of things. Like, uh, for instance, uh, 2018, I'm having trouble with a tranny come the end of the year. And like, well, I didn't know what I was having trouble with, but I just remember coming home from a divisional, I think in Salt Lake. And I literally took my cobalt apart. My dad and I, from front bumper to rear, I mean, engine, training, rear end, shocks, struts, you name it, this whole car blew it apart in two weeks' time, put the whole thing back together, all fresh parts, fresh motor, fresh trans, fresh everything, then went to the next race. Like, I, and it sounds crazy, and it sounds overkill, and it sounds whatever. I mean, we put new starter on, new everything. Anything that could break, we changed it. Like, just we wanted to just make sure everything was perfect. And uh, so I feel like when you put that much effort in, uh, like, prior to the event, um, you know, and then, and, you know, obviously put an effort, uh, you know, even from like the dialing or understanding your car and, and things like that. Like when you add all of that up together, essentially, like, like, I, I feel like you go in with a lot of confidence because you just know, again, like you have great equipment and as long as you do your job, the car is going to do its job and you have a pretty good chance of winning. So I don't know that there's something I do like in particular to mentally prepare. I think it's just making sure I'm prepared as a whole. Like, by doing homework by, you know, by the, the pre-race preparation, I feel like gives me the extra confidence in those big rounds.
0: Right on. That makes sense. Yeah. I know that there's just, there's some racers that attack, you know, different rounds, different ways. And, you know, they, they get a little bit more amped up and then you have, you know, some, you know, like I remember talking to Dan Fletcher about this. He goes, I'm just the same every time. It's just a job. I let go of the button and yank the steering wheel.
1: Yeah. And it's the same with me. Like I don't know that I get pumped up or excited. I, win, lose, try. I mean, it, it's, I even have friends that, like, aren't around me much, and, like, I can win a race, and they're just like, dude, are you excited? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, and they're like, yeah, you can tell, I was real excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, it almost gets to the point, though, where it's like, you uh, you know, you hear people talk, you know, we don't celebrate, we act like we've been there many times, and it gets to that point where it's, you know, it's almost the expectation where you want to win, and you expect to win. And
1: it is, it is that expectation, I guess there's some people that, like you mentioned Fletcher, like some people say, Oh yeah, we just want to act like we do it all the time. Well, he really does do it all the time. He doesn't have to act. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and that's the difference. Like, and I think that uh, a lot of the excitement goes down, you know, it's him. And I have talked about this. Like he keeps his stuff at my house. Uh, and, and we talk fairly regularly, uh, Dan and I do, but we talked about this. Like, he's like, you know, you've made it when you stop getting like a hundred text messages every time you win a race. Right. Like, and it's true. Like, I mean, there's been years where I've won like four or five, whatever, six national events in one season and like the, you win the first race of the year and your phone blows up. And by the time you win the fourth, fifth, sixth race, like I don't even think anybody knows you won. Like they don't care anymore. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but, but at the same time, it takes a little bit of the fun out. I mean, it's just not that exciting anymore. Not not that it's expected, but like it, it is, it's a job. Like you just, you want to do your best. You want to, you know, Holly, uh, but you just, you know, it, it, I don't know. You It is, it is, a, it becomes a job. Like I'm there to perform for my sponsors. For my family for my dad for my parents like you know my dad puts forth all this money and effort and equipment and cars and lets me travel across the country in the motor home and i mean the last thing i'm going to do is like be getting drunk and driving around the golf cart and out of the racetrack right like i'm there to freaking work and to perform and to win like it's a job at this point like it's not i mean the last thing i want to do is go out and screw around and and basically all this effort and and uh you know Finances, everything has all been like for what? For me to go get drunk with my buddies at the racetrack? No, like I'm there to do a job. That's it. You know.
0: Oh no, it it totally makes sense. You know, I've you know crewed on cars before, and you know, there's other people going out and having a good time. We're like, you know, we got to be back here early. You know, and you know, we win, then we'll 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 do what we got to. You know, we'll have fun then. But you know, you, you want to stay sharp because, like you said, it's the financial output. You know, you're having fun, but you're taking it serious at the same time. You know, it, it all kind of like. Yeah, I always tell people that the racetrack for me is a place where all my other problems melt away. Like, my personal life could be completely on fire, but when I'm at the racetrack, you know, I'm just, I'm there in that moment. I really think it helps you kind of be very present and live in the moment when you're, when you enjoy racing and you're, you know, you're really trying hard.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. It's definitely, uh, whatever, it's, it's definitely gratifying, I guess, to, uh, to accomplish what you came to do, essentially, um, unfortunately I think it's a fine line Like to try to have fun you know you got family and friends there like my whole world is racing but it, it is kind of a fine line like yeah you want to take it serious but you still kind of want to you know be fun to be around and, and it's hard it, it, that's one thing that I probably struggle with more than ever is, is that line between trying to be okay to be like not make everybody around me I mean there's times when I'm racing for a championship like I don't want to talk to anybody I don't want to look at anybody I don't want anybody to talk to me just leave me alone. I'm gonna lock myself in a trailer with a logbook until it's time to make a run, and it, it, that sucks for everybody else, you know. So it's kind of a, it's hard to have a happy medium, I guess, at times. But uh, I, I try my best, I guess. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm just grouchy and. Nobody
0: yeah. wants to be around me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of racers that fall within in that category for sure. And there's, there's times, you know, I've, that's one of the things growing up around the sport and doing what I do that I can definitely get a feel for the room real fast when it's time to a racer willing to talk or I'll catch you later, man. Because you, you get that feeling, you know, when they don't want to talk, don't force them to talk because everybody's not going to have a good time.
1: Right. Right. No, it can absolutely be that way at times, but I mean, I turn out that's one thing I got to tell you with Kyle, like, uh, and it was nice racing with Kyle cause he's freaking happy and Mr. Positive all the time. And, uh, there's times I just want to be left alone. And, and so he would go talk to someone for me, right. Or he'd go talk on, on our behalf. Or, and on the flip side of that, he'd bring me up like, like, dude, have a relax a little, like, it's all good. You know, have fun. Like, and he, he showed me how to do that, you know? Uh, so it was definitely, you know, that, that is one thing about racing with Kyle. And I feel like his relationship with Pete's the same way. You know, they run these spring fling races and Pete's, you know, kind of the serious problem solver, down, dirty, whatever. And Kyle's like the happy face, right? Like, and it's like the perfect balance because, you know, Pete's a little grouchy like I am and Kyle makes up for it. You know, everything we're racing. I'm a little grouchy and Kyle makes up for me. So it's like the perfect, you know, mix, but it's yeah, definitely a, he- uh, it can be hard at
0: times. You, you gotta have that counterbalance because, like I said, otherwise every everybody ends up not having a good time when you have, you know, people that are too serious or not serious enough. It, it can it can throw things out of whack, but you need to have that, that little bit of yin and yang to kind of keep things on the even keel.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now between your stalker and super stalker, you know, which is your favorite to race? Uh
1: well. Favorite to race is probably my Super Stalker because I feel like I'm probably more competitive in it. Um, I just drive it better. I just mesh with that car better, I guess you could say. Um, what's more fun to drive? The Stalker, absolutely. Like, without question. I mean, you're, you're true foot braking it. You're, you get to shift by the things doing a wheelie. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, the shifter or the, the Super Stalker, you just let go of a button. It shifts itself. Um, you know, it's just, it's just different. Uh, you know, the Super Stalker is all business. You know, it just... And it's okay. It's fun to drive still, but it's not the same. Like, it's just not as fun. Um, so, I, I guess it just depends on what you're talking Like, if there's a million-dollar race in my backyard, like, you know, when the fling comes, I, listen, I'm i going to pick my Super Stalker over anything all the time. I drive it best. It's an unbelievable car or whatever. My Stalker's a great car also. I don't drive it as good. It's a lot more fun, but I don't drive it as good. I'm not as consistent in it. It's not as consistent. Like, it's just whatever, but if I'm going to a Friday night 500-to-win race, I'm going to be in that stalker having a good time. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, no, no, it totally, totally makes sense. You know, one is a uh, one's a precision weapon almost, and the other one's just a grip it and rip it and have a lot of fun, you know, wheeling it down the track kind of deal, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah, exactly.
0: And and does that make it, you know, more satisfying for you to be able to win in that stalker, knowing it's a little bit more of a, uh, a gnarly animal on a different level to drive
1: uh no i it's equally gratifying to win in either car um i I guess i probably feel more excitement when i win in the super stalker in the fact that i put a lot of expectation to win in it like i i mean i just feel like when i show up to the track that is my best chance of winning so i should win in it right and the stalker i mean don't get me wrong i go there fully wanting to win and you know trying my best and 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 the other thing is like when stock limit is concerned, I mean, it's still one of the best cars around. I have no doubt. It's awesome. Works great. Leaves great. Everything about it. It's just, if you don't separate the classes, you put everything in one class, I'm going to pick my super every time, but no different than when I show up and I think I have the best super in the country. I think my Stocker is pretty close to the best in the country also. It's a phenomenal car. And, uh, you know, I should, I should be able to win in it as much as I win in my super I just, I guess I just don't, um, I, I, you know, it, it just, historically I haven't as much, but that being said, I mean, stock is where I won my first championship. I've won, I don't know, two championships in stock, three in super stock. It's fairly equal, you know, division championships. I, I actually think I've won more division championships in stock than I have in super stock. So, I mean, I've had great success in it also. It's just, like I said, if, if we're running an all run field, whoever shows up, runs the same class, I'm just picking my super stocker. It's just that simple.
0: You said something that caught my attention there, too, that I've always liked watching is winning class and stock or super stock. That's another thing. I got to my first time I got indie last year, I got to go to watch class eliminations for the first time. And that was just that was awesome to watch because that's pretty much pulling out all the stops to get the max out of your car. That's some cool stuff to watch for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, it is. And, uh, you know, historically, I've never. I don't know. I've never cared that much about when I raced complimenter. Absolutely. It was all about going fast, all about, you know, whatever, but in stock and super stock. I I haven't been one of those guys that like lives for that. I I don't know. There's a lot of guys in stock and super stock that that's just their thing. You know, they just, they they love to go fast. They love to, you know, have the fastest car in the class, blah, blah, blah. I've never been that guy. Um, My cars are pretty fast. I mean, I actually just put a new motor in my Super Stalker, and the thing's ridiculously fast. To be honest with you, like it's probably the fastest car I've ever had. Now, as far as far into the index, and and it's cool, but like at the same time, like when will you ever show it? Like, I guess if you go to Indy or something, maybe. But like, at the end of the day, I slow them down, make them consistent, make you know, it's just I don't know. It, it's the 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 going fast thing has never really been my thing, but uh, I guess it's cool to have a fast car, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. Like I said, that's, again, the cool thing I like about, you know, stock and super stock is just all the different ways you can attack and approach these classes. And it's it's like I said, it to see what you guys can do with those cars, to me, is absolutely amazing, considering the rule sets. That, to me, is like the game within the game, sort of like a comp eliminator.
1: Absolutely. Um, and it is. I mean, it definitely it definitely is. And it pays to have a fast car. And like I said, my cars have always been pretty fast, you know, and. Um, but it's never, uh, you know, there's other guys in stock and super stock that can care less about winning, and they just want to have the fastest car in the country, and they spend every dime they can to, to do it and to, and to achieve that, and they go testing, and I mean, I go testing to make my car consistent, they go testing to make it fast, you know? Like, it's just, I guess, a little bit of a difference, but that being said, you still have to have a fast car in stock and super stock, no matter what, because if you get those heads up runs, you need to be able to be competitive, so it's kind of a fine line, you know? Yeah.
0: Kind of going off the consistent, Ben, you know, idea here, can switch gears and, you know, talk about bracket racing. And again, that's to me, bracket racing is the backbone of our sport as far as keeping local tracks open. Like I I, kind of live in both worlds. I've crewed on heads up racing. I love going to heads up racing, but I can only afford to bracket race myself. So I have Mm -hmm. a lot of respect for good bracket racers you know, what's your take on the current situation bracket racing's in with all these big money races, you know, the popularity of the sport, you know, w- what do you see going on right now?
1: I, I'm going to be honest. I think it's awesome. I wish I lived closer to more of it. Um, it looks like a blast. Uh, and I'm not even talking about these 1 million, 2 million, 5 million. I don't even know how much they're racing for these days. I'm just talking about just, I feel like every weekend there's a 10 grand or 15 grand or 20 grand or somewhere. And, uh, you know, uh I'm I'm kind of split. Like I think that uh some of these really, really expensive races, I mean, you're talking three, four, five thousand dollars a car by the time you enter, have buybacks, maybe run a shootout, whatever. I mean, that can get really, really expensive. And although I think it's awesome to race for that money, like how long is it sustainable that you're gonna have five hundred people willing to spend five thousand dollars per entry, right? Yeah. So that's kind of my take on it. But on the other side of things, um, these days, like like a ten grander being like the norm any given week, you know, a couple hundred dollars to enter, ten grand to win. I freaking, I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. I think it's a blast. I think uh, I wish I lived closer. I, I think that end of the sport is just awesome. I just wish I could do it more. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, but like I said, I, I just it's it's almost you know these these races that are like literally. I mean, I think there's a race coming up. Uh, Fletcher told me he was going is the fourth of july weekend maybe the sfg one that pays like 1.1 million or something like yeah i mean that's unheard of but at the same time like it's probably a hell of a lot more fun to go pay like 200 bucks to race for 10 grand maybe three days a week with like 300 cars this is just me talking then then spend five grand 10 grand if you have two car- i mean however much money three four five grand per car to go to a place for a week racing 15 16 hours a day if you're going rounds because there's so many cars there like i mean it's awesome and it's super fun to watch like i i'll sit in my office sometimes uh i'll sit in my office sometimes and i have a one of those smart tvs right i don't have the like the fling was just happening a couple weeks ago and it was awesome i loved it sitting here watching the fling you know while uh while working and, and it's cool to watch but having been there it's the most grueling events ever they're just such long days and so many cars and and, you know, it is awesome to race for that much money, but it's also at times difficult to think like, man, like I'm out $6,000 and I rolled in the gate and man, I hope I don't have to buy back, right? It's just a lot of money and, and how long will that be sustainable? But on the flip side of things, the fact that normal quote, like local type bracket races are paying so much, is just awesome to me. I love it.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, I, I, I agree on both points. And I think that, yeah, the the whole, like, big money bracket race thing is just, it's it's insane now. Like you said, one point, you know, over $1.1 $1. 1 million for that big show up at U.S., you know, 131, uh, that's, <laughs> like, it's so hard to think that so- someone's going to, I mean, you know, you got the split, you know, you know it's like Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club, you don't talk about the split per se, you know, but still, there's going to be a whole lot of money won by someone at that event. Period. In the discussion.
1: Yeah, no, and there's gonna be a whole lot of money won by a few people. I, I yeah. promise you. But I just like I said, I I, I think it's awesome. If I live closer, I'd probably want to go more often. It's just like I said, I'm curious how long it's sustainable. Um I kind of not just because Pete and Kyle are my best friends, but I kind of like their approach to it. Instead of it just being like an all-run six, seven, eight hundred cars at an event, they they put a cap on it you're not racing for a million bucks, but you're still racing for 20, 30, 40, 50 grand, right? Um, I mean, their Saturday event at Galat, I think Friday or Saturday was uh, was 100 grand to win still. But it's almost funny, like we've gotten so spoiled in the racing. We're like, oh, it's only 100 grand? Well, that's because you can race for like 500 a million five other times a year or something, right? So like a 10 grander is almost laughed at these days. But to me, a 10 grander with like 250 cars, that's a good time. I can bring my family. You race from eight o'clock in the morning. until maybe eight at night, you can go out to dinner or barbecue with your buddies, whatever those races, when there's, you know, and that's, what's cool about this, the the fling races that they're limiting the car count at two of their events. Anyway, It, it makes it fun because there's still time to interact with, you know, your, your peers and other racers. And, 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 uh, I don't know, I'm probably sounding like some old corny racer, but like, I just kind of feel like, is it cool to race for the big money? Yeah. But it's also a lot of pressure and a lot of money out of pocket. I, I almost just love these ten twenty granders that they're having all over that it's just a good time. You're not breaking the bank to be there. You don't have to save for six months to pay the entry fee. You know, you can just kind of come out with your play money, have a good time. And, uh, and, and it's, and it, and they're not 15, 20 hour days, whatever it, it, it It's cool. But at the same time, there's nothing more exciting than someone racing for, I mean, I'd love to be staging up for that million dollars. I promise you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's again. I think it just you, you hit the nail right on the head there with it being enjoyable and being fun. And then you go to these other races where it's it's a race, but it's also almost like like an experience kind of deal. Like you do it just you know it's like going to one of Ducks races. You go for the experience. You know it's going to be long and grueling, but you know to be a part of that is exciting. But at the same time, it's just it's so much fun just to go through and throw down at these you know smaller events where you can enjoy yourself and and really work on your craft.
1: Right, and that's what I. Uh, You know, I guess I've raced so hard for so long that like a part of me still likes to go to an event that's that's a good time. Like I don't, I'm getting less and less apt to go to like the divisional where you got to park in the freaking dirt hole dust bowl somewhere because the parking's terrible and it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity and blah blah blah. Like I'm out. I'll just go to like Sonoma where you're in wine country and it's a beautiful facility and your you know your friends and people are there and you have a good time and like so it's not, you know, it's just whatever, I guess it's whatever floats your boat. Right. But I just, uh, it's kind of how I, my take on racing is, you know, I just, I want to go where I'm going to have a good time. Like essentially like, is it a job for me? Yes, it is, but it's still something that I like to enjoy with my family. I mean, we're getting ready to go fourth of July weekend in Sonoma. There's a bracket race that, uh, called like the gold rush race or whatever. And, uh, I don't remember. I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what it pays. Maybe ten, twenty, twenty, something like that, or ten, twenty. I don't. I don't even know what it is. It doesn't even matter. It's in Sonoma. Tons of my friends are going to be. I mean, the Parvillaris family. Andy Moore is my buddy from Washington. He's coming down with you know with his brother-in-law and and, and just so many. Uh, one of my sponsors from Vegas is going. His same Shane Tom. Like all these people, all my friends, peers, sponsors. Everybody's going to be at this race. And. uh In wine country, the best weather in the freaking country besides maybe San Diego, right? I mean, it's just freaking, it's awesome up there. Like, my kids love going there. My wife loves going there. She'll go to the winery while we're making time runs or something. I mean, it's just, it's a good time. Does it pay a million bucks? No. But I guarantee you, I'm going to have, like, all the racers at that event are going to have as much fun as any race anywhere in the country that weekend. Even though it's not paying a million dollars. But it's a good time. There's still good money to be won. And, uh... You know, it's 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 kind of like the whole experience, not just the money. And that's kind of where I'm at a little bit is some of it is, you know, go back 10 years. I probably just wanted to go try to win as much money as I could anytime I could, whatever. But this point, like I want to have fun, too. And I want it to be fun for those around me.
0: And, you know, another thing I wanted to hit on, too, was, you know, we've talked about this. The competition level has gone up so much in bracket and class racing and you know you and Luke kind of have something to do with that, I think, with that website you guys are, on, right?
1: well, absolutely uh, I, I, and it's not just our, our website. I definitely don't want to take credit for anybody's success, but uh, Luke Bogak and myself uh, Luke started it and he brought me on uh, you know a few years in and we have kind of like an online driving school slash community that we have and uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know we do trainings for members and different aspects of racing uh, and from everything from how to get sponsors to, to how to work, you know, set up your car to how to drive the finish line, starting line, mental aspect of things. It it kind of covers all areas, but um, you know, we're just one of many tools. I mean uh, I just got an email from a company. I use their uh, weather station. Um, It's called Computech. They're out of East coast somewhere. Computech just sent me this new software with, that they created themselves to go with anybody that owns a Computech weather station. You get this software that, that has run completion and, and helps dial your car. And, you know, there's obviously stuff like crew chief pro that's been out for years. This Computex kind of, you know, another avenue in that is it where it help you dial and help you track weather. And I mean, there's so many tools now and, and everybody has access to them now. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's making everybody a better racer. And I mean, I, I know that uh, our elite members have so much success. I mean, just this past weekend, I mean, we had several winners all across the country in different classes, and one of our members made a perfect run of this race in Sacramento. I mean, it's, it's so cool to watch and so cool to, uh, you know, to, to be a part of it. But um, what I say that Luke I take credit for it? Absolutely not. But we're just one of the tools that is out there to offer to others, and, uh, you know, hopefully it helps. So,
0: Well, I've poked around on this as bracket racing, you know, a few times, and I'm definitely, once I finally get my – full-on race car built and rolling, it's going to be something I'm going to look into again because it comes down to, you know, I'm a competitive person. I want to win and have fun. But it's just that, to me, going back to watching the races on NHRA All Access and seeing some of these big-money bracket races, if you truly want to be good at bracket racing, it legitimately, it takes laps. It takes knowing your equipment. You just can't buy your way in. You have to be able to really drive a car. And to me, I always kind of, you know, I, I say that you know bracket index racers are like a surgical strike and in the heads-up world retreat that more as a carpet bombing gonna blow you over with everything we have and to me it's, it's it's a very interesting kind of way to see how both worlds operate but the precision of bracket racing just to me is it's it's amazing to watch
1: yeah no it definitely is and i think that like our website it, it definitely it, that's the one thing and and I don't think that there's any part of drag racing let me start with this, but I don't think there's any part of drag racing you just buy your way in like I used to think let's take uh you mentioned that 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 gentleman duck that puts on those races, which those look like a, I'd love to go to one of those one day just oh, to go and check it, it out it's
0: but an experience it's an experience I, can you imagine go.
1: That, I think he's an experience, and I don't even know him <laughs> uh. It's- uh, but anyways, I would love to go, and I'd love to even meet that guy. I think it would be at all, all time. But a part of me used to think, like, oh, man, that's a deal. You could just buy your way in, right? Like, you go get, like – I mean, fuck, just at the end of the day, just go buy Stevie Fast Car. I mean, he, he seems to be, like, the guy, right? Just go buy his car and ask him to tune it. You'll win. But, I mean, I don't know that it's that easy. I, I mean, you the, – the, it's no different for them as it is for us. Like, the effort put in is just unbelievable. Like, you don't just go buy – I want everything Stevie fast has and expect for it to run. I mean, you better have his crew chief him as a driver. You better have the whole thing. Cause it, it all adds up, you know, and bracket racing is the same way. I, you can't just go buy a dragster and, and just go win, you know, there's a, there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. And can you go buy the best equipment? Yeah. But it doesn't guarantee you anything. And, uh, like I said, it, uh, this is bracket racing. It's just another tool to help, you know, kind of speed up people's learning curve more or less. And, uh, and it's pretty crazy like even me like here i'm the quote instructor right but you can't believe how much stuff i will learn from our members um you know we have like this online facebook membership community and uh kind of a secret group we have you know just only members are in and uh i mean you know we get guys that i went tested this this weekend here's what it did and i mean it's cool because like i get to learn as well as all of our members get to learn from john's testing or whoever's testing right like it's it it really speeds up your learning curve where as opposed to if you're just one guy that buys a dragster turnkey and goes out and learns like it's going to take you a long time to learn what what you might learn from this is bracket racing elite in a month or, or six months or a year like this might take you 10 years to learn on your own um and so it i don't know it's just another tool i guess and uh you know we're we're very proud of it and uh and and it's awesome, like what Lucas created, and and him giving me the opportunity to be a part of it is very very special to me, and I really appreciate it. But again, there's so many tools, and uh, I'm a big believer. Like, give yourself the best tools, and the best, you know, give, give, we'll give you the best opportunity to win. And we're just another one of those. Like I said, I mentioned Computech. I meant there's Porta Tree. You know, like uh, Allison Dahl. I, I'm I'm assuming you're very familiar with her. She won the Stockmaner Championship last year, but her family owns Porta Tree that makes all these different variations of practice tree full-size trees mini trees desktop handheld you name it like I mean I'm gonna be honest with you I have uh, porta tree products all over the place I mean I on my desk next to my computer I have one I got one in the center console on my truck that's this little handheld thing I can be stuck at a stoplight just hit the practice tree a couple times just because it's there I got one on the table on my trailer and right on the bench of my trailer like it's all just tools and it all helps and you know having access to that is definitely a benefit so
0: you know, I wanted to get your take on this, too. You know, I know before when I interviewed you said that if you could do anything else, you'd, you'd probably race pro stock. Now, mm-hmm. as far as other forms of heads up racing, would you jump into like a, a small tire a radial car, one of those radial versus the world car or something like that? Or is that just not in your uh, not in your zone of comfort?
1: I'm going to be honest with you, and it's probably changed a little bit over recent years. But I would probably rather run one of those cars, like a radial car, some kind of crazy turbo thing, something fun like that, eighth mile, than I would pro stock. And the only reason I, I would say that I love pro when I grew up, pro stock was 15 teams all racing against each other. That's what it was. You had Warren and Kurt Johnson. You had Jim Yates, and and maybe he would race with someone. You had Ron Krischer teamed up with V Gaines. That you know Krischer built the motors. They were their separate teams, but same motors. Like. Like, you had, let's say, 10 or 12 different engine builders and 15 teams, right? Now, there's two. It's two true. teams. You either race with Elite or you race with KB. And, I mean, there might be a couple little independent teams, but let's be real. If you want to win, you're going to race with Elite or you're going to race with KB. I mean, Elite showing up at the track, I mean, i give it to Freeman. I mean, holy crap. He, what, what he's done is unbelievable as far as being able to get participation back in pro stock and get cars out there. But, I mean, he's got, like, I don't even know, six, seven cars at one event. KB's got, you know, their own three cars, Greg, Jason, and Bo, but I know they're leasing motors to Kramer and I don't know who else. Um, It's kind of just turned into you either race with KB or elite. I I love the old pro stock when there was like this huge variation of cars and stuff like that was what was super fun to me. I still think pro stock would be a super fun car to drive, but I don't think it's any more fun than like one of those drag radio cars. And the cool thing about that is, it's a whole bunch of teams. It's not, you don't just go, go rent a car from someone, right? Like from what I see, unless I'm completely naive to it, but like when you're watching like radio versus the world, those are just all separate independent teams that you might have a tuner that tunes, you know, like I've got to know Barnhill a little bit. I'm assuming, you know, Barnhill, right? Oh, Patrick? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. So like, like Barnhill might be there tuning two or three cars, but each of those teams, he might, that guy might be there tuning five or six cars, but each of those teams is still their own team. They got their own engine builder and their own, this guy runs these turbos and that guy runs those turbos and this guy runs Holtec and this guy runs Holly. I mean, it, it, it's, it's cool because it's just all separate teams and separate, it's not just the same car over and over and over again. And it's my only thing with pro stock these days is I just feel like there's, there's team A or team B and they're all the same Chevrolet Camaros, right? And I'm a Chevy guy, so that's fine, but that's just all it is. And I feel like that radial versus the world, again, I'm just watching on the internet while working or whatever, but, It's pretty cool, just there's such a variety of cars and teams and personalities, and it it looks like just a great time, and I would love to do it, ever given the opportunity, that's for sure.
0: The interesting thing about, like, Radio versus the World and Pro 275 and the the upper-level fast classes is that you'll see guys kind of using the same combos – but totally different executions and how they do it and how they attack it in the cars. And that, to me, that's, what's interesting is like you said, you might see one tuner working on multiple cars, but at the same time he has the, you know, the general knowledge of how it's supposed to work, but each of these cars is going to be different and they react in different conditions. They have their advantages and disadvantages. And to me that's what kind of makes that so interesting is to watch how that whole dance unfolds with those teams.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what I've gathered from a distance and and I feel the same way a little bit about ProMod. I don't know that I ever want to run ProMod because I just personally, I mean, call me a chicken or whatever. I don't want to go 260 miles an hour. <laughs> I'd go 200 in the 8th, but I don't want to go 260 and a quarter. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I just, uh, I don't know. I feel the same way about ProMod. you got all these different, there's blowers, turbos, nitrous. I mean, you got 10 stages of nitrous for however much they run. You've got blown cars, you know, all this different stuff. Like, I, I just think that, uh, I don't know. I, I promo is the same way. Like, and there's so many different ways to do it. You know? Um, I think it's pretty cool. I just, I guess in the back of my head, I just feel like right now pro stock's a little monotonous, but at the same time they had more cars to start it. I mean, the season was only a couple of races long, but there was more cars out there than there has been in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years. So they're doing something right. I just, for me personally, give it, if you said here, uh, I'm going to c- come drive this, regular versus the world car that Stevie fast owns or come drive this car that Freeman owns. I'm going to go to Stevie fast car all day long. That looks like a, just a blast and awesome time. And then when I get my butt kicked, I can go on the starting line and bet with everybody. Like it looks fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing I try to explain to people. I'm like, one of the coolest parts of my job is I get to float between all worlds of drag racing. And when I say worlds, the things that happen at a duck X event will never ever ever happen in an HRA event. Could you imagine a money line of betters during like a funny car race, like a nitro funny car race?
1: Yeah. I mean, it would be fun. <laughs> imagine all those people standing behind a nitro car when they blast off. right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but,
0: but, but Yeah. Like the, the NHRA officials would literally, you would see them die of heart attacks watching that. Whereas, yes, you know, absolutely. these grudge events and these outlaw events, you know, pretty much, you know, as long as you're not standing in harm's way, they're like okay whatever you bought a ticket have fun don't get killed
1: right <laughs> and- no i know it's it's totally crazy a totally different atmosphere but but the one thing like we spoke about earlier no matter what how big these other events get how big all this it's and it's still the pinnacle right i mean like i i, I don't know uh i feel like this, that, that steve jackson's like one of the best known names in that world right but let's be realistic like I'm gonna bet, and maybe you've interviewed him. I'd love to know the answer to this. His championship in NJPW Pro Mod was probably one of, if not the biggest thing to him that he's ever won. Yep. Even though, like everything you know, he's done his whole life has been in that other scene. When he won that Pro Mod, championship, I guarantee you that was like the biggest thing to him. It was huge. Yep. And it's just it's so it's crazy. Like no matter how these other events get it seems to be like everything just grab like NHRA is still the peak of it. Like for some reason it doesn't go away. And, and I mean, it's great for me because it's what I do and it's what I'm good at, but it's pretty crazy to watch. And I mean, even being young, I was pretty young when this happened, but it used to have that whole import thing. Like the, what was it like a nope series or something like that? It was NHRA sanctioned and and it came and went. And uh, I mean, there's been all these different things over the years that have kind of come and gone. and, then you had, a, like, the Mountain Motor Pro Stock with IHRA that had, like, 50 cars at one time. Now, what is that, like, 10 left in the country? Like, they come and go. And for some reason, NHRA is just always still here, fans in the stands, on TV, and everybody wants to win in it. You know? Like, it, it's one thing that never changes.
0: Well, Stevie's made no bones about it. He wants to drive a fuel car, you know?
1: Oh, really? Well, then tell him to let me drive his Pro Mod.
0: Yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm sure that if he's got one of those deals where if you've got the uh, – the the, the 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 checkbook to jump behind the wheel of it it will be like here you go what how you want a hot medium mild or spicy tune up what do you want to do uh, right yeah <laughs> no
1: I need to I need like the the feel bad for uh, uh, some guy from Vegas checkbook like that's what I need like you know just. Let me drive it for a couple weeks. That's yeah. all I want.
0: Just, yeah. Just make, let me make some hits in it. it, it it's all good. Yeah, cool. I'll, cook,
1: I'll cook dinner or something for all the guys, but that's about all I can afford. Yeah. yeah it,
0: well, when you hear one of the pro mod guys talk about how much it costs to run them f- per pass versus like a fuel car per pass, it's like, wow, that actually makes that seem somewhat affordable. But then it's still, right. it's like, you know, it's still seven, $800 a pass to run one of those cars. It's not cheap at all, but you know, it's, it's smiles it's per gallon, right?
1: Right right
0: well justin our time here on the podcast is coming to an end and i like to give my guests their uh their chance to to channel their inner john force and thank their sponsors and tell people where to where they can be found at so i'll turn the floor over to you and let you you know let everybody know where they can learn about your racing and you know who makes it possible
1: well um basically honestly learn about my racing it's on social media i'm on facebook instagram um whatever just look up justin lamb but uh um as far as sponsors obviously first and foremost my parents my family uh you know my wife and kids are super supportive but i have just a ton of great help from sponsors um uh silver state plumbing is silver state hvac it's brian peterson and shane thompson shane thompson's like a very avid bracket racer and they own this company that they've been very supportive of my racing for years um rad torque systems out of canada um dan provost is who uh who owns that business and and he has been just like an absolute blessing to work with um super good dude also a racer um i don't get to race with him as often as i'd like because he's so fun to be around but when he does come down from canada i, I get to see him a few times a year and, and that's always a blast but um you know like i said so much help v gains uh i'm sure you know of him he used to race pro stock but uh, several of the companies that he owns helps me out uh, madcap racing engines which is one of his companies and uh v has been with me literally from the start like uh, help, helped us get into racing, to be honest with you. Him and my dad are great friends. and uh, So without him, I couldn't do it. But, uh, you know, there's a bunch, obviously. Uh, Matco Tools, Motion Engineering, um, Goodyear Tires. Goodyear's a huge supporter of mine. Um, A1 Converters out of Washington. I, I have a ton of help. Like, it, it really is, uh, it's it's awesome how much help I have and uh, how many people stand behind me and support me. And I definitely couldn't do it with every, without everybody, so.
0: Awesome, man. Well, Justin, I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing it at the track soon.
1: Cool. Thank you, and I appreciate you having me.
0: Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Justin for stopping by, and as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next time, folks.